and welcome to the CU Insight Network podcast. My name is Lauren Culp. I'm the president and CEO at cuinsight.com. And it is my job on this show to have conversations with the thought leaders who support the credit union community. There are so many of them. And together, we get to identify those issues that affect credit unions and talk about all the best practices to improve our industry together. I am really excited about today's episode. Joining me is Tom Pierce. He's the Chief Marketing Officer at PSCU. Tom, thank you so much for being here. It's great to be here, Lauren. Thank you. I typically start these episodes off the same way, which is to say that most of us did not grow up thinking that we would get to work with credit unions one day. Many of us, myself included, did not even know what a credit union was (laughs) until later on. But Tom, what did you want to be growing up? So my original direction was to go into the newspaper space. My first job was as a newspaper carrier when I was 12 years old. And I started when I was in high school covering local sports teams for the local newspaper, both little league teams, high school teams, and so forth. So I really had my eyes set on becoming a reporter when I went to college and all that. Things kind of changed after that, but that was my first pursuit. That is incredible. Well, uh, not too far off, I guess, still telling some really cool stories through your work at PSU. But what was that journey like to your role today as Chief Marketing Officer for PSU? You're right in the storytelling episode direction there, Lauren. So I I really had what I consider two careers. So I had a first career in the uh, media industry, uh, not as a reporter, but on the marketing and sales side uh, of the newspaper business and online business. So I spent about 18 years in that and then made a switch into financial technology about the same number of years ago. And I've worked with a number of different organizations and uh, marketing leadership roles from uh, Wausau Financial to working at Metabonte and FIS, and then uh, at Cardtronics in the ATM space. And then I was excited to have the opportunity to join PSU uh, in my current role five years ago. So it's been a fun journey in financial technology. And I and my support right now in PSU, the credit union space, really is a similar feel to what I did in the newspaper space. We were an employee-owned company for my career there. And uh, very focused on employees and the readers uh, in the Milwaukee area where I worked at the time. And now serving the credit union space and and members in the credit unions as a QSO, it's really a very comparable type of experience. That is so cool to hear. I love the story. And getting to have maybe those two separate careers has has probably been a lot of really great experience and helped as you've kind of taken the helm here as Chief Marketing Officer at PSU. Tell me a little bit more about PSU. I think probably most of our listeners know who PSU is and what they do, but just on the off chance somebody doesn't, what is that elevator pitch you would give folks about what PSU really does and and where it adds value for credit unions? So we've been around over 45 years. So we definitely have a recognized brand out there in the industry, but we've truly evolved. I mean, we were a payments processing reseller for a good chunk of our history. And we've really evolved in the last few years. We've seen 70% growth in the last four years, but we've evolved into a true integrated financial technology provider. We've had expansion beyond that traditional payment processing into digital banking, collections, now instant payments with the acquisition of of Juniper Payments a couple of years ago now. So uh, we've really seen a strong evolution and are looking to really serve the end-to-end payments and financial technology needs of credit unions in the marketplace right now. 
That is a perfect elevator pitch. I love it. And it's cool because there's been a lot of evolution too with Juniper and all of the other things that you all have been thinking about. And one of the things that we always love and keep an eye out for is the Ion Payments Study, a really awesome white paper that you all produce. Can you tell us more about what you set out to do and research through the Ion Payments Study and why it's so important for credit unions? Thanks. So this is our amazing our sixth annual study that we've done for IM wow. payments. Yeah, and it's continued to evolve every year, which is what's been fun with it. And and what we use this for is really to gauge kind of payment preferences amongst both credit union members and other financial institution customers. This is really what they say they prefer to use from a payment form in different types of situations. A little bit different than what we track on a monthly basis with the PSU payments index, which is actually measuring how people are using their various payment forms, you know, their debit and credit cards there. But we go beyond just the card space with the with the IM payment study to really kind of look at overall trends, you know, some of the new emerging payment types that people might be interested in and kind of help to predict where credit unions should be focusing their attention for the future based on where consumers of different generations I love hearing about how, you know, six years in the Ion Payment Study is one that we always, I know, are uh, kind of keeping our own eyes out for. It's so cool to hear about. And we're going to link to that uh, white paper here in the show notes. So anybody who is interested can see that right there. But Tom, could you share for us, what are some of the key findings in the study? And was anything, any finding this year surprising to you? It was interesting because we have some similar types of questions that we ask every year to kind of show trends, but then we also kind of dive into some new things every year. So let me, let me highlight, uh, we had about seven key findings, which folks can dive into a lot more depth uh, in, the, in the white paper, but I'll, I'll cover a few of them now, just some of the more interesting things we saw this year. So one of the first big ones is around the topic of mobile wallets. So we've been tracking this through the years, but this year they really kind of stake their claim as a legitimate payment form out in the marketplace. We had nearly four in 10 respondents say they like to use a mobile wallet at the point of sale. Part of that's because people are getting more educated how to use it and also because merchants are accepting it more at the point of sale. And particularly in the in the younger audience, so those millennials and also the Gen Xers, 28% of those said they use a mobile wallet at least a few times per week, which is pretty incredible. And then beyond just the mobile wallets, we've had more than half of the respondents, 53%, report they would rather tap and go at the point of sale, either through a contactless card or a mobile device or a wearable, than insert a chip at the point of sale. So we've seen that evolution as we've seen the point of sale devices evolve, and people are getting more used to that kind of tapping effort that first was introduced you know, during COVID when people were afraid to touch the machines. And now it's just becoming a much quicker way to pay. So mobile wallets is a really interesting finding this year, how that's grown. Second area is really around the generational differences. And we could talk a little bit further about some of the specifics within the different groups. And we track every year, how do boomers prefer to pay versus all the way to Gen Z. And this year, we really saw that differentiation, the bifurcation between the oldest and youngest members really grew a lot more. So, for example, this year, 80% of Gen Z say they prefer to pay more with a variety of payments than they did a few years ago versus only 42% of boomers. That's a, that's a big gap on that front. 
And uh, then as we look at particularly around the different payment types, you've got, you know, on from a mobile wallet standpoint, we talked about the preferred way to pay. Well, of the youngest group, it's 13% are using a mobile wallet, only 1% of the boomers. Credit cards, stronger on the boomer side, 38% are saying that, but only 16% from the Gen Z. So you see that big distinction between the oldest and youngest is really starting to make a difference. And it's really how credit unions will need to approach their different audiences with some different um, capabilities out there to meet their demands. Another interesting area I want to talk about is around the area of emerging payments. So we we ask every year kind of around some of our emerging payments. So this year, again, we kind of dove for a second year in a row into two types. One is buy now, pay later. And the second is around crypto. So buy now, pay later, like mobile, has really seen some interesting growth. Of those who say their uh, FI offers BNPL, 74% have used it. That's up from 69% last year. And younger millennials are those that show the greatest likelihood of using the program. We've seen an increase of 35, uh, from 35% in 2021 to 61% of younger millennials liking to use it this past year. So significant usage there. And then on the crypto side, this is an interesting area because, as you know, the crypto market has really taken a lot of hits this year with you've got exchanges shutting down. You've had a, a lot of concerns about the value of crypto in the marketplace. Despite that fact, there's still a decent interest out there amongst uh, respondents in terms of their willingness to both hold and invest in crypto and, and then potentially demand to use it as a payment form for the, for the future. It's, while it's still a minority, we saw a growth of 25%, so up from 19% to 23% in just a year of those consumers who say they've either invested in or held cryptocurrency. So it's an area that credit unions still need to keep an eye out on. And then a final finding I'll just touch on, which is an interesting perspective when you, we talked about mobile wallets and how those have grown. Well, despite that fact, We've, we asked a new question this year around the impact of card design. And card design still has a significant impact on which card consumers choose to use. 39% said that they select a particular card because of the design. Might be because it's a metal card, could be because it is a sustainable type of card, or maybe the design of the card itself. But we've seen a strong interest in what that card looks like, what it's made of of whether it's selected as the preferred card to use. And then rewards, which had seen a bit of a dip, you know, during during COVID because you just couldn't utilize a lot of the rewards capabilities out there that people typically might capture to use in terms of travel rewards or other in-person types of rewards. 42% of members say they also decide which card to use, whether it has strong rewards. So just touching on those as four key findings, there's even more in the study, but some some definite distinctions of what we saw this year. I have to say, as I was listening to you talk about some of these key findings, I, I think I was finding myself guilty of, you know, I have used a mobile wallet quite a bit more in the last year than I ever did before. So you have, okay. I have, yes. But I, I might fall into one of those younger generation categories. <laughs> Could you tell us a little bit about... Some of the key differences in payment preferences, you really, you touched on them already, but kind of just break it down. What are some of the, you would say maybe specific generations overall are looking for in terms of their payment preference? I'll, we have a, a lot of information in the uh, 
the study about this, but I'll, I'll just touch on maybe, you know, a key kind of finding for each of the generations that, that's, that's interesting there. So let's talk about the boomers. So an, an area that we also kind of dove into this year was their impact of the economy that they may be seeing for them individually and how it's affected their spending levels and all that. So boomers are slightly less worried, as you might expect about the economy of the other generations. They have more funds built up. So not surprising there, but almost 60% of folks on the boomer um, generation, so they're more concerned about fraud. So that, if you think about your audience there as a, as a credit union, your older generation really got to deliver a strong fraud story too. Generation X, um, half of that group uh, say they uh, preferred debit as their most preferred payment type. We have seen a drop in that group on the credit card preference, which is interesting on that front. So the Xers are using more debit than ever before. Older millennials, I mentioned that that boomers were slightly less worried about the economy. Well, the older millennials are one of the most worried groups. 83% agree or completely agree that they're worried about the economy and their finances for the future. This is also the group that has invested more in crypto, 42%. So they've invested in crypto up about five percentage points from the previous year. And then the youngest group, we're talking about the younger millennial group. This group actually still picked debit as their most preferred payment method, but it actually dropped from 46% to 38% this past year. So that group is starting to use more payment types, including the mobile wallet. And also the younger millennial groups have the strongest interest in a buy now, pay later program. So if you're thinking about introducing that type of solution within your credit union, the younger millennials are the ones to target. And then the very youngest group, the Gen Zers, this group, they are actually saying they saved more money in the last year. Seven in 10 say they saved more money and they're looking for opportunities to apply for credit cards. So we think about that generation, which is typically probably the weakest from the credit union member base perspective. It's the group that probably is going to be the most attractive if you're trying to pull in new credit card clients. I love hearing this breakdown of each generation, especially because we know that a lot of times credit unions have an opportunity to really target different generations of consumers in a different way. So it's really cool to hear about you know, knowing some of these different payment preferences, the ways that a credit union could talk to someone could be really different. What would you say are maybe some of the key takeaways from the study this year that credit unions could leverage to best serve their members? Are there things that you would say maybe is a really actionable insight to take away and put into practice tomorrow? Again, in in the study, uh, in the white paper, you'll see a a number of action steps that credit unions can take in that regard. I'll just highlight a few. Education is still a really big key, whether it's around buy now, pay later, mobile wallet usage for the different generations how to save more money from a financial wellness support perspective. There's definitely opportunities around a number of these findings to provide more education for your members and think about the different audiences and what they might need on that front. Fraud is still critical. So having a very strong uh, fraud set of, uh, a set of fraud providing tools is, is really critical to support all of the different generations, particularly the boomers that have the most concern around that. We talked about card design. Make sure you've got a flexibility in your plan for your card design and also your rewards because that those are driving more interest in potential usage this year. So what are your role campaign strategies 
and overall strategic plans around your card product and rewards that can really drive additional card usage. And then finally, I state innovate, innovate, innovate. So, so this year it's always uh, tough because of the economy. Credit unions might be looking to take the foot off the gas pedal in terms of innovation spending. When you look at some of the other innovations that are happening out there in the marketplace from competitors, whether it you know be the larger banks or some of the more online banks, they're investing in a lot of these digital solutions and mobile solutions. Credit unions need to still focus their energies there if they don't want to lose their credit union base to competitors. I love all of those takeaways. I'm excited for everyone to get to read the full report and uh, be able to take that back. So again, we're going to link to that in the show notes here. Tom, as we look to the future, I know sort of the pace of change has never been faster than it is right now. And you're even talking about some of these payment trends that are evolving really rapidly year over year. What would you say is PSC's focus for the road ahead in the midst of all the changes? Is there is there a main focus that you all have as you look to 2024 and beyond? So support our wide credit union base. So we also have to continue to amp up our innovation investment. So, you know, we, we will spend in 2024 uh, over $50 million again in additional investment into the marketplace to support new solutions for our credit unions to take to market for their members. But a couple of areas I'll just want to highlight that will be kind of important from a new perspective this year. We're continuing to expand our uh, data solution set. So that's been a big differentiator for PSU through the years. And we've continuing to, to launch additional capabilities to meet our credit unions need in that space as they look to segment their member base further and do more campaign efforts to grow um, their clients' utilization of cards or additional uh, share accounts or lending. There's a lot of great opportunities in that data space that we're continuing to invest a lot there. And the second one I'll mention, we talked about Juniper Payments before, but with the recent FedNow service being launched, there's going to be the opportunity to for credit unions to consider where they can play in that space. So we're putting a lot of focus around Juniper and their capabilities on the instant payments front so that credit unions can start to dive into that new capability when they're ready. So many good opportunities. And I love what you're saying about, you know, as a credit union kind of as their strategy evolves, PSU is really there and ready for them and in whatever direction they're ready to go. So I love it. We're going to link to this white paper. We'll link to some contact information for Tom and the team at PSCU. But as we wrap up the show, we always like to have some fun with rapid fire questions to let our listeners get to know you a little bit better. We say the questions are rapid, but your answers don't have to be. So Tom, are you ready? I am. All right, let's do it. Who is someone in your life that was a great leader and what makes them great? So the first person that comes to mind was uh, when I was put in charge of marketing in the newspaper, a newspaper back in Milwaukee a number of years ago. My leader was one by the name of Beverly Klein. And she was the first female leader in the advertising space across the country at the time. She, she'd risen through the ranks of starting as a classified ad rep on the phone and worked her way up to becoming senior VP of marketing for the newspaper and was just an icon in the industry. And I learned so much from her about how to be focused on building a strong team and supporting your people and being focused on great results. But she was just a very inspirational leader, very much of a character out there. But uh, she comes to mind as one of the best leaders I've worked with in my career. 
I love that. That is so cool to hear. Well, if you're going to splurge on something or you want to treat yourself, what is something you might invest just a little bit in, whether that's uh, time or, or resources? So I have to be honest and, and kind of tell you about my situation. So I've got four dogs and they're from 28 down to 21. And I have two weddings next year that I'm paying for. So I don't get a chance to splurge on much. Let me just be honest <laughs> But when I do, it tends to be around the family. So uh, we live in Houston, Texas, and our, all of our daughters are up, up north, two in Milwaukee, one in Pittsburgh, and one in Buffalo. So when we splurge, it's really around traveling to see them and spending time with them, taking them out to dinner and going to festivals and so forth. That's, that's really where we're spending our extra dollars on. It's around the girls. I like that. That is a great investment <laughs> in the family. Well, random question for you and kind of ties into that one. If you travel for work, which I know most of us do a little bit, is there a city that you are most excited to visit? If you see a conference that's coming up, you're going to, what city is it that you're super excited to see on the agenda? So this is going to sound a little odd, but St. Petersburg, Florida is the home of PSCO. So I started going to St. Pete 30 plus years ago. Uh, I went to a couple of newspaper management programs there. And it was a very different city at the time. You know, Tampa was really the icon that was getting all the development. Well, over the last 10 plus years, there's just been this rebirth of downtown St. Pete that I've found it one of the most exciting places to come and visit. So I'm here about two weeks a month and I love staying downtown. There are so many new restaurants. There are so many people moving here uh, of all diversity and ages and cultures it's really a phenomenal place. When I have the chance to come to St. Pete for meetings here, it's like, this is exciting because I get to spend some time here. There's a lot of other great cities out there, but the evolution of St. Petersburg has just been phenomenal over the last decade. That is super cool. I have had the chance to get down to St. Pete. It is a really, really great town. All right, Tom, what is a book that you think just everybody should read? So I have a book that I've probably read four times in my career, and I use it as a great reference tool. It's, it's really what I'm marking brand. It's called The Hero and the Outlaw. It gets into the brand archetypes that are out there. So I really have used that as a it's, a, it's a fun book to read because looking at the different archetypes, being everything from the ruler to the, to the jester, to the creator, to the sage, but trying to apply that not just in around our organization's brand and how we should be reflecting that. But as we're looking at the individuals who we're marketing to within the credit union, what are the roles and what are the archetypes that they might be representing so that we change our messaging strategy for the different groups? So that's, I just point people toward that book. It, it's been around for, you know, 20 plus years. It's just, a, it's a great book and a resource. We're going to link to that in the show notes here so everybody can get connected to that. You know, it's a good one when you want to read it more than once. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What has been your best hack for creating balance and integration between your work life and what I like to call on the show, your life life? So with having four girls and my wife and I've been married now for 30 plus years. So uh, even though I work a lot and I'm you know gone about half the month, making sure that I spend quality time with my wife every day when I'm home, for we spend some time together and we have two wonderful dogs that kind of keep me focused when I want to get away from the computer and all that. But it's really around having the dedicated time with not just my wife, but then having that time to visit the girls and spend time with them. Um, we've been very excited to raise four very independent, strong young women 
that are doing very well. And that's just makes it all worthwhile. That's awesome to hear. Well, you, I, I can understand uh, talking about some weddings coming up. I'm sure you've got your hands full. <laughs> it'll be, it'll be fun next year. Yeah. We're doing, we're doing one uh, in January in new Orleans. It's kind of a destination wedding for oh. our daughter number two. And then our oldest daughter is getting buried uh, next September in Milwaukee. So we've got some different types of weddings that they're planning, but it, it, it'll be a fun experience. That is so cool. I love it. Well, we're going to link to everything we talked about today in the show notes, especially the Ion Payment Study with the book you talked about, some contact info for everybody. But my last question for you today is, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share or final asks of our listeners? So you, you mentioned downloading the white paper. I, mean, I, I think that continuing to, to leverage all of the research and thought leadership that's out there on there's so much out there in the payment space. You know, we we focused on a lot of different energies and avenues for folks through PSU, whether it be our consistent weekly blogs to the PSU payments index that I mentioned is produced every month. Uh, you can't consume everything, but dip into as much as you can to really help you plan your credit unions strategy out. The more you can read and see what other credit unions are doing and 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 what consumers are anticipating out there. It'll help guide your strategy more effectively. What a perfect way to wrap up the conversation today. Thank you so much, Tom, for taking some time to be on the show. It was great getting to catch up with you. Thanks, Lauren. I really enjoyed it. Me too. I hope you stay well. And thank you to all of our listeners today for tuning in to the CU Insight Network podcast. And we will be back again next time. 